You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast with Brian Weber. It's a talk show. We talk. And former Pro Bowl Steelers quarterback Cordell Slash Stewart. Hey, get your popcorn ready. NFL No Huddle airs live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern on the NFL on TuneIn, your everything audio app. Hello and welcome to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. I'm Brian Weber alongside Cordell Stewart. On today's podcast, we're going to focus on the Redskins with Grant Paulson from 106.7 The Fan in Washington, D.C. and talk Lions with Dave Burkett from the Detroit Free Press. And Brian, we're going to kick off the podcast today with Tyler Dunn from the Bleacher Report. Tyler, thanks so much for taking the time. Your reaction to the mega deal the Niners are giving Jimmy Garoppolo, that's a ton of money for somebody with only a handful of starts, albeit a lot of promise in the San Francisco Bay Area. It, it is, yeah. I mean, it's a ton of money, and I, I think that the, the natural reaction is to say, you know, what in the heck is San Francisco doing? But I don't know. I, I loved it. I mean, the guy won, you know, every game that you've seen of him. I mean, he looks every bit a young Tom Brady, that, that game-winning drive against Tennessee where he literally talks on the sideline with every single receiver, tells them exactly what's going to happen and exactly how to take each step, and that's exactly what happens on that game-winning drive. I mean, I, there's just so much to love with this guy that I figured it would be a blank check kind of a deal for him. And if you're San Francisco, like I just remember being in that locker room a couple of years ago with Chip Kelly looking around, and it was so lacking in just general talent. I mean, they didn't have anybody, both sides of the ball. It was pathetic. I mean, to, to make the, the turnover that they've done in such a short amount of time, John Lynch, uh, Kyle Shanahan, you've got to make a decision like this. You've just got to be bold. If you believe in a quarterback, you pay that quarterback, and, and then you build around him. And not having anybody, um, they all of a sudden became somebody when Jimmy Garoppolo actually ended up showing up to where all these guys look like big playmakers on this offense and also on the defensive side of the football. But, Tyler, what does this, what does this do for – let's just say someone like a Kirk Cousins. And I don't want to put Kirk Cousins in the same category as a Drew Brees because Drew Brees, I think, is a few steps ahead because he is a future Hall of Famer. But the marketplace for those quarterbacks that are high, at high demand, Drew Brees and a Kirk Cousins, how do you think their numbers look when it comes to guaranteed money or even the big picture? Yeah, that's where it gets kind of murky because, I mean, with, with Garoppolo, you know, you're obviously paying a very young player for what he could be. I mean, you don't really know what, th- what that is, but you're, you're projecting with, with Kirk Cousins. I mean, he's 29 years old. You've seen a lot of Kirk Cousins, and I can't remember a quarterback that, that has really kind of divided folks quite like him that, that's been on the open market. I mean, there's people who love Kirk Cousins. There's got to be a lot of personnel people who think you can win a Super Bowl with Kirk Cousins. I mean, you've seen those moments. I mean, that primetime game against Green Bay a couple years ago, I mean, he looked like the best quarterback in the NFL. He's had those moments. But then you'll see somebody who really hasn't gotten it done when he needed to and, and get that team to the playoffs, winning the playoffs. Um, I don't know. I, I don't think he would get that kind of money unless there's a GM out there with a lot of cap space and, and a lot of belief in him. But uh, he's going to get paid regardless. I, I guess that's kind of the takeaway is, yeah, I mean, it, 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 there's going to be a lot of quarterbacks getting a lot of money across the board. I don't think the teams are just going to, like, tiptoe around their situations like they might have in the past. I mean, it was kind of surprising to see somebody like a a Tyrod Taylor generate no interest last year in the spring. I thought the Bills were kind of prepping and preparing for for somebody to want to throw money at him. Nobody really did, so they brought him back. He didn't really improve. I mean, quarterbacks in that position, maybe, maybe teams are a little bolder this spring. Taking you around the league with our pal Tyler Dunn, the Bleach Report. We're all guessing, but we appreciate your informed speculation. What do you think would be the most logical landing spot for Kirk Cousins now? 
man. Um, well, he's kind of running out of options. You know, it, it looked like it could have been Washington for a while, could have been San Francisco for a while. They both had their quarterbacks. I guess the Jets. I mean, that does seem to make a lot of sense. They've they've got the money to throw at them. I mean, they're they've kind of been living in that quarterback purgatory for a while now. The draft hasn't really worked. You know, Geno Smith, Christian Hackenberg. So unless they feel like they want to go that route again, I don't know. I, I feel like with that team and that coaching staff and that GM, they're going to say, you know, let's just bring in a veteran. Let's just bring in somebody who has done it. Let's stop projecting. Let's stop trying to coach somebody up into, into being somebody and molding that player. Let's bring in somebody who's done it. So that would be my best educated guess. You know, not really based on anything other than logic, but I think the Jets would kind of throw a lot of cash at them. Tyler, when you start seeing quarterbacks grabbing numbers, I like they're getting right now. Whether it's going back to Andrew Luck and his 87 million bucks, which seems like no one's going to get to that number quite yet as far as guaranteed money to Jimmy Garoppolo. Is it fair to say that it's the playing field now that we are part of when it comes to giving out this type of money? I mean, you got what, a 19.9 to a 23.9 for Kirk Cousins, and we have to assume that he may be bumping up to the 27.5 that we know Jimmy Garoppolo is getting. Is that the world that we're in right now when it comes to the, the purses being open to be able to give a guy that has the key word, potential, to be really yeah. good in these organizations? Yeah, Cordell, I mean, that's kind of what it is. You know, it's it, it's crazy that – Andy Dalton, I mean, it seems like we were all just talking about that contract and how ridiculous it is that Cincinnati's making him a $100 million man and all that. Well, he is now the lowest-paid starting quarterback in the NFL, not on a rookie deal, which is wild. I mean, that was just a few years ago. We've seen this market just skyrocket these last three, four years, even more so than we could have imagined. So that's just kind of the cost of doing business. And I think if your team trying to – turn yourself into a contender, the best situation to be in is exactly what Philadelphia was in. They had an MVP or front runner on that rookie deal, which allowed them to pay up for a really good backup in Nick Foles, which allowed them to go out and sign an Alshon Jeffrey in free agency and make all kinds of trades during the regular season that were, you know, really bargains when you think about it, trading picks for players. Not a lot of teams do it. I think a lot more will do it now. They just kind of built their team around the fact that Look, we don't have to pay up for a quarterback quite yet, so we can get creative elsewhere. That's probably the best spot to be in for a team. And maybe that's why some teams are a little reluctant, like the Redskins were, to pay up for Kirk Cousins, because then you kind of pull yourself out of that. But it's still a quarterback's league, and you're not going to win if you don't have that quarterback. So you're kind of in that catch-22. Tyler Dunn, Bleach Report is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Tyler, what was your analysis of Josh McDaniels changing his mind, backing out of accepting, in principle, the Colts' head coaching job? At a minimum, it seemed grossly unprofessional. Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, that's that's about as, as bad as it gets. And I don't know any team outside of New England that would hire Josh McDaniels after doing something like that. And I'm, I'm sure they're not going to come out and announce the intentions in front of a microphone, but... It has to mean that. I mean, he's the heir apparent to Bill Belichick, and it has to mean that maybe it's a little sooner than we all thought. I mean, I really thought that Belichick and Brady both, that we'd all have to kind of pry him off the field. But, you know, maybe they have some type of agreement in place that he's going to be the guy there whenever Belichick walks away, and maybe it's a little sooner than we all thought. You mentioned Josh McDaniels, and, and of course, I like to relate his name to the game, and 
and think about how both these quarterbacks played in it. I mean, both defenses gave up a tremendous amount, uh, something we hadn't seen from either for the most part, for the most part throughout the year, especially Philadelphia. But Nick Foles, I mean, give me your take on what's going to happen uh, there in, in Philadelphia when it comes to dealing with Carson Wentz, who they move a few spots to end up getting him as a second pick overall and a second quarterback, to all of a sudden now Nick Foles, he ends up becoming the MVP of the Super Bowl, the first quarterback to ever take their team to a Super Bowl in the organization's history. And here it is. There's conversation about what do you do with the value that he has with having him going somewhere else? Or now he's just going to sit behind Carson Wentz. <laughs> you know what? I, you like how I said that, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah it's, it's got value. I mean, my gosh, you could flip him for a high pick. You could flip him for – Gosh, whatever you would need on defense. I mean, he's the most valuable backup quarterback we've seen in quite some time. But at the same time, like, how do you let him go? I think it'd be crazy to do anything with Nick Foles after seeing how this season played out. And you know, Carson Wentz, I know his recovery seems to be going really well, but that's still a torn ACL late in the season. Um, Nick, Nick Foles would allow you to, to bring him back slowly, maybe you throw him on the pup list. Maybe Nick Foles starts the first six games. Maybe he goes 6-0 and in those first six games. Maybe this becomes... Nick Foles' team in 2018, I mean, as well as Carson Wentz played, I mean, he was the MVP frontrunner. I don't know how you just trade somebody who caught fire like Nick Foles did. I mean, that was unbelievable what we saw. And, you know, who knows if it was just a a flash in the pan, three games of RPO stuff, just catching everybody off guard. But he is perfect for that offense. He knows how to use the weapons around him. Um, They figured it out. I I don't know how you just kind of let something like that get away after what you just saw. Chatting with Tyler Dunn of Bleach Report. Tyler, as we start on the path of the draft and you have conversations with folks in the know, how polarizing is Wyoming quarterback Josh Allen? His backers say, look at his size, look at the arm. The critics point out he had less than a 60% completion percentage playing at Wyoming. Yeah, man, it's, it's all over the place. I'm just starting to kind of get into that myself now and, you know, the combine will, will really kind of glean a lot of information there. But so far, it's exactly what you said. There's a lot of people who love the size, and obviously the same person who kind of unearthed Carson Wentz is who recruited Josh Allen to Wyoming. So, I mean, there could be some similarities there. I'm sure they ran a lot of the same stuff in college and had to read a defense and go through progressions and, and make some plays on the run. But, I mean, like you guys, I, I sat down and, and tried to watch him a couple times this past fall, that Oregon game in particular, and it was ugly, and, and I get it. He's surrounded by one- and two-star guys, and against a powerhouse team like Oregon, or you know, I guess they're not even a powerhouse team, a power conference team, I should say. It's tough, but he didn't show anything at all. Um, it's, it, it, that's, <laughs> that's why these GMs, you know, that's what they get paid for. I mean, somebody's going to take a swing on him. Somebody's going to take that chance, and maybe he is Carson Wentz. Maybe he is, you know, an NFL-style quarterback that – Really, you don't see in a Lamar Jackson or a Baker Mayfield and somebody who ran a different offense. But right now, I mean, you could just as well say that he's a Paxton Lynch. He's a total projection that isn't going to pan out in the NFL. So, man, I have no strong opinion whatsoever on him. I know there's a ton of potential, and then some teams see that, somebody's going to pull the trigger. Tyler, I know we all, you know, now that I've become a pundit now, I, I can honestly say I've, I've done this for a few years with Brian and, and a few other shows I've done before, but is it okay to say we really, the blueprint that we used to think was the blueprint when it came to the quarterback position, when it came to the receiver position, when it came to coaching, 
we thought we had it. Is it okay, you know, from a transparency standpoint to say that you really don't know how to gauge it other than looking at the draft board for each team and saying, okay, what's the most important piece at this spot? What's the most important piece in this second round for these different individual teams and just hope you can pick the right guy? Because look at Drew Brees, six feet tall. Mm -hmm. Here comes Baker Mayfield. Six feet, Carson Wentz. He takes a team to an, to an NFC championship game. All of a sudden, Nick Foles. I mean, and also going back to, to Baker Mayfield, he wasn't even a, a, a scholarship kid coming out of Texas Tech as well as Oklahoma. He wins a Heisman Trophy. He has this brash personality. Do you, do we, Carson Wentz, come out of North Dakota State. I could keep going. I'm going to stop right there. But how do you really gauge what's a, a good way to determine who gets the opportunity to go in these places? Boy, because it, you know, the first team that comes to mind when you're kind of breaking that all down is the, the Cleveland Browns. And, you know, they come in with Sasha Brown and, and want to bring analytics to the game and they acquire right. 16, 17 draft picks a year. And it seems like they have all this ammo and they're going to build a team the right way. Well, at the end of the day, I mean, you can rely on the numbers all you want, but you can't, you can't pass on the quarterbacks they did. I mean, you can't trade out of the Carson Wentz pick. You can't pass on Deshaun Watson twice. I mean, we could spend a half hour on all the whiffs they've made at quarterback. You get, you, get, you get the draft talent. You, you can't take Cody Kessler ahead of Dak Prescott. So I, I guess it just, uh, yeah, I think that a lot of teams do have strict measurements and requirements for certain positions. You know, for a while it was, you know, corner cornerbacks after Richard Sherman and a Legion of Boom kind of took off. I think a lot of teams looked for that 6-1 um, physical cornerback. You know, I, I'm sure there's still a demand for that, but every team kind of varies. It just comes down to a gut instinct at the same time. I mean, if you're a GM, you just have to have the conviction that you believe in somebody and you believe that that quarterback, for example, can be the face of your team. And, you know, a lot of times it works out. A lot of times it doesn't. I know here in Buffalo, there were people in the building who really liked Patrick Mahomes, for example, and saw him as the future face of this Bills team, and there was a lot of belief in him. Well, they ended up taking Tredavious White. Maybe he was the best defensive rookie in the NFL. He has a great career, and it works out. Same time, I mean, you could have taken Mahomes. Maybe he turns out to be the face of your team. It's just there's opinions all across the board in these draft rooms. I think it's so important just to have that one voice, that one final decision maker, that one person in charge who will make that pick with conviction. And as simple as that sounds, I think that in a lot of, in a lot of draft rooms, there's just opinions all over the place, and they, they don't exactly have that, that structure, and they kind of live in oblivion. Last one for me. You referenced Buffalo. We were talking about the notion of cold-weather Super Bowls yesterday, and the consensus from this program was, while it was chilly, this just in, it's cold in Minnesota in February, the hospitality was outstanding. If Buffalo can ever solve their stadium conundrum and finally get a new stadium, could you envision Buffalo hosting a Super Bowl at some point in our lifetime? Absolutely, man. I do. And that's a little Western New York hospitality bias there. I, I think that they uh, would do a heck of a job hosting. I mean, downtown has completely been revitalized. Um, they've got a lot, a lot more new hotels. I think they want to put the stadium downtown eventually. I, I, I do think that they could host a Super Bowl and, and do a good job at it. But you're right. First things first, they've got to figure out and announce what they're going to do with the stadium. Right now, they're kind of working on a lease in Orchard Park still, but eventually, why not? That's kind of the reward the NFL gives you, right? Hey, you build a new stadium. If we like it enough, bam, you get a Super Bowl. 
Well, the good news is we have many years to thaw out after our excursion into Minnesota before we deal with the elements in <laughs> Buffalo. Tyler, always good to see you and great to see you in person in Minnesota. Thanks for joining us again today on the NFL on TuneIn. Hey, great seeing you guys. Thanks so much. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. Tune in, listeners. It's Fanbuary. It's Fanbuary? Yes, Fanbuary. That time of year when we get ready for life after football. NBA playoffs. Two, one for the win. Yes! March Madness. Slam to ants. MLB spring training. It's gone. It's a home run. NHL playoffs. Here's a chance. Block. Rebound. Score! And the best way to celebrate Fanbuary is by upgrading to TuneIn Premium so you don't miss any of the great moments in sports. Commercial free with TuneIn. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Next on NFL No Huddle, the podcast, let's welcome in Grant Paulson from 106.7 The Fan in Washington, D.C. Grant, thanks for taking the time to join us again. So let's start with the big news in your area. What was your initial reaction to the Alex Smith deal and how much of an upgrade do you think he could prove to be over Kirk Cousins? Well, I was surprised, like most of Washington, D.C., Brian, because I think people thought this would be a slower-developing story this offseason. I talked to Kirk Cousins on my radio show here in town just after the end of the season. He still thought there was a chance he could return to be the quarterback of the Redskins for what would be the fourth straight season as a full-time starter. But he wanted to test the market first, and he was expecting – that he would wait until March to then negotiate with the team, whether that meant they put the franchise or the transition tag on him or they came to some type of agreement on a long-term deal, which I think was a very slim chance and probably not in play at all. But I think what the Redskins heard when they heard that Cousins was going to wait till March is that he wasn't willing to negotiate, which was the case at one point late last offseason as well. And they decided that rather than playing a guessing game and musical chairs and missing out on sitting down in a seat that they feel like could get them to nine or ten wins in the playoffs, a bird in the hand was worth a couple that might be in the bush, and they wanted to go grab Alex Smith before Case Keenum or Teddy Bridgewater or Sam Bradford from the home, and they were stuck potentially either playing a rookie or going to battle with Colt McCoy in September. When you look at Alex Smith and what he's been able to do, the best year he's had over his career was in the West Coast-style offense with Andy Reid. Jay Gruden doesn't run that system. He's more of a... I'm going to try to attack the the, the, the voids that you have in your defense based on the, the, the stats that says this is what you're going to do, down in distances. Do you think Alex Smith fits what Jay Gruden wants to do? Yeah, I worry a little bit about that, Cordell. I think he will be a fit in that Jay Gruden has proven in his time here already to me that he is adaptable and that he does adjust to the strengths of his passer. Uh, he has done that with pretty much everyone he's worked with, Sam Robert Griffin, who frankly, I just don't think he ever much interest in working with and didn't think that very highly of. But and whether it was Colt McCoy or it was Kirk Cousins or the limited capacity we saw Nate Sudfeld in the preseason, he really did maximize his quarterback's strengths. I think that that's something he does well. Uh, the couple of things that will work very well for Alex is here. Jason likes his quarterbacks to be decisive pre-snap and get the ball out very quickly. I think Alex Smith does that. Cousins was extremely cerebral and a very intuitive player. Uh, similarly, Alex Smith can diagnose a lot of things pre-snap, and he's going to give him the ability to make some decisions, I think, at the line of scrimmage with Smith likes. I think the couple things need to be adjusted and tweaked to your point that aren't great fits right now. Number one, Jay Gruden is not very prone to the bootleg and the mobile passing game. He doesn't like moving the pocket horizontally outside the tackle box nearly as much as Alex Smith has been accustomed to in his career. That was a gripe of Kirk Cousins. 
behind the scenes. He felt like he had to advocate for the bootleg a little more often than he had in the past when Sean McVay really likes doing that or Kyle Shanahan, who is a big proponent of a moving pocket, designed the plays and called the offense. So I think that's something Jay Gruden's going to adapt to as well. Maybe take some of the vertical passing plays out of his offense. You know, That's never been a strength of Smith until last season where he shined in that capacity. But I think a lot of it had to do with Tyreek Hill, who's not coming to Washington with him. So to me, that's the big storyline here. How much will they change their offense for a guy who's more mobile, a better runner than Cousins, probably not as good a passer in that 15 to 25 yard area, which is where Cousins made his money over the last couple of years. Talking Redskins with Grant Paulson, 106.7 The Fan in D.C. Grant, what do you make of Redskins running back Chris Thompson saying the Cousins sent the team mixed messages? Is Kirk now getting smeared on his way out the door? <laughs> Perhaps. I mean, I know Chris Thompson very well. I've actually talked to him a ton about Cousins, mostly before Cousins left. But he's a Kirk Cousins guy. They were very, very close, those two. Uh, and Kirk's very much respected in the locker room, and I think was actually left. I think, like his teammates, Thompson's a little bit frustrated and surprised that Cousins is gone. But I actually heard, I went back and listened today to the interview, because as you can imagine here in D.C., we ended up having to talk about that on the show. I think more was made out of that in terms of headlines than was actually there, in the sense that Thompson basically said that there were mixed messages. I think he was referring to both the Redskins and Cousins. The Cousins saying he wanted to be here but not getting a long-term deal done. The Redskins saying they wanted Cousins here but never once in all the years of negotiating after offering him anything that was considered to be a market value offer. That was never submitted to him at any point. So I think both at different times tried to play ball and the other took their ball and went home. Early on, Cousins was willing to talk and the Redskins hadn't seen enough and weren't. And uh, He offered at one point. Three years at $19.5 million, fully guaranteed. Would have been a $58 million guaranteed deal that basically committed Washington to starting Cousins in 2016, 2017, and 2018. And he'd be going into the final year of that three-year deal with a bargain cap number right now. Uh, they didn't want to talk about that because they didn't want to fully guarantee a contract, which is fairly unprecedented. You fast forward to last year, and they offered Cousins a little over $22 million to open their negotiating when the market for him was probably closer to twenty-five. Uh, he didn't respond to that offer. So I, I think basically it was two ships passing in the night. The Redskins waited a little too long to come around on him. You saw today what San Francisco did with Jimmy Garoppolo, where after seven starts, five games in their organization, they made him the highest-paid quarterback in the league. And the antithesis of that is what the Redskins did, who had cousins in their building for four years, watched him practice every single day, saw the kind of guy he was, and saw him start for an entire year when – he played in an MVP level for half of a season and led the team to a division title and still needed to see more. And once you tag a quarterback, it can get really messy. And that was clearly the case here, the relationship between Cousins and the team president, Bruce Allen. And it didn't get any better after that. It only got worse. When you look at this Washington team that, that had a lot of turnover over the last couple of years, Ricky Jean-Francois, he leaves, goes to Green Bay, then all of a sudden he goes to a Super Bowl with New England. Uh, you look at Deshaun Jackson, he leaves. Pierre Garçon, he's gone. Um, you know, obviously Alfred Morris, he was gone for a few years, but he's gone now. All of a sudden you have Kirk Cousins, but yet you add Alex Smith. Does Alex Smith has enough to be able to carry this football team similar to what we saw Kirk Cousins try to have to do sometimes because of the lack of a running game, the lack of guys being healthy? Do you think this team is in trouble because there's parity in that division now? Cordell, right now they don't have nearly enough talent around Alex Smith to help him. I mean, he is a dependent passer, and as good a player as he's been in this league, and as brilliant as he was last season, and I really do believe he was brilliant, 
And he had his best year of his career last year. He'd been in the league starting for 12 seasons and threw for 4,000 yards for the first time. He'd thrown for more than 23 touchdowns all of zero times before last year. Those are very pedestrian numbers in a pass-happy NFL at this point. So the part of the dialogue on Smith this offseason, which has been very pro the player and, and very positive about him coming to Washington, I think his recency effect because he was so darn good last year. There, there have been a lot of years halfway through the season where you're wondering, is this guy going to get over 3,700 passing yards, which when you start 16 games, it's hard not to get to those types of numbers. To your point, though, last year he had Kareem Hunt in the backfield, making him look good not only in the running game, catching football. He had Tyreek Hill turning smoke screens into 15- and 25-yard games. Travis Kelsey is one of the great matchup nightmares outside of Rob Gronkowski in the AFC, and he's going to make you look good as well. Washington's talent pool is not where it needs to be. It's February. They've got a draft and a free agency upcoming with a lot of money to spend now that they didn't give Kirk Cousins $30 million, but they got to do two things. One, they got to add speed and some weapons around him. When Jordan Reed's healthy, he's a premium special differentiating talent who uh, completely dominates any one-on-one matchup he's asked to. He's probably the second best tight end in football outside of Rob Gronkowski, in my opinion. They've got a good slot receiver who's shifty and hard to cover in the middle of the field in Jamison Crowder. Uh, and then they've got a decent up-and-coming outside wide receiver who I never think would be a number one. He's not explosive or quick twitch like an A.J. Green or Julio Jones, but he's an acrobatic leaper and a guy that, that goes up and attacks the football and Josh Dox, you know, I think could be a nice little weapon. They've got the building blocks, but they need a running back. They, they don't have speed at that position necessarily outside of their third down back, Chris Thompson. They need someone who can make plays on first and second down and turn first downs into touchdowns and hit home runs. They don't have that. The other thing they've got to do for Alex Smith is build a defense. Cousins, a lot of people will hold against him his record here that he didn't get to the playoffs other than the one year. He didn't win in the playoffs. Well, quarterback wins and losses is is kind of a naive way to look at football. They've had bad defenses. And unless that changes, Alex Smith isn't going to fare a whole lot better than Cousins. He is a guy that has always kind of been – a winning quarterback based on being in some good situations and the fact that he protects the football and gets the most out of his teammates, but they got to help him with adding a bunch of talent to it pretty quickly. Chatting with Grant Paulson, 106.7, the fan in our nation's capital. Grant, I follow you on Twitter. You had an interesting and complicated scenario last week. Is there even a minute chance the Redskins would tag cousins and then trade him? Yes, there's certainly a chance. I mean, that is what they would like to do. I've heard from a bunch of people that that is in their plans in, in terms of kicking the tires of as many teams as possible. Uh, the, the way to sum it up most easily, though, is to say that it's very unlikely. Because what you'd be asking then if you're the Redskins, because you have to tag Cousins to trade him, because otherwise he becomes a free agent the first day of the league year on March 14th, is that you need a team willing to give up, let's say, a second-round draft pick better than the third rounder you'd get if you just let him walk to basically rent him that one year franchise tag at $34 million. Why would they do that? Well, they probably wouldn't, but I suppose for the right to have the exclusive year of negotiating with him right at the end of the season, where they could then try to put pen to paper on a long-term contract, but cousins and his agent aren't dumb. And I'm sure what they would do is tell, let's say it's just the Cleveland Browns for the sake of example, Cleveland gives up the second rounder to Washington so that they can add Cousins at one year and $34 million. I'm sure Cousins and his agent would then say, listen, we're not going to sign long-term. Don't do that. We don't want to be there long-term, even if he does, because if you are the Browns at that point, you're negotiating against yourself, because if you have him on the franchise tag, it's his third franchise tag, 
he can't be franchise tagged again. He has to be transition tagged, which they could keep him on a transition tag next year, but it's a 20% raise from this year. So that $34 million times 20% is $40 million next year. So he's already basically, if the Browns want to keep him around, free to do a two-year $74 million contract, and he's got that leverage to use against them in the same way that he had against Washington. So the math doesn't work for me. I just don't think it makes a lot of sense. If I was an opposing team and I wanted Kirk Cousins, I would wait it out, let him hit the open market first week of March, at which point I have a chance to bid against several other teams for his services. And if I miss out on him, well, that would hurt. Uh, you're not missing out on a you know, Hall of Famer. You're missing out on a guy who's pretty good, is going to give you a chance to win. And there are other ways to do that while spending less money. All right, Grant. Let me ask the, the magic question of the day here. Abe Gordon, our mixologist of the show here, the word on the street is, you know, people talk some things happened and things just come my way every once in a while. How do you know this guy? Give us something good about Abe Gordon, the mixologist over here with the mama bear that he has on the floor, probably in the room where he is right now. The mixologist, I love it. Well, I've known Abe for a long time. So we worked together at a couple different spots. Matter of fact, we were uh, roommates in an apartment together at one point. So I got all kinds of Abe Gordon stories. Oh, oh my God. On. You can stay on. Grant, how did you survive that? I didn't, actually. This is my second <laughs> life. It was like a video game. I was lucky enough to come back after I, like, fell off the cliff. Now, my favorite Gordon story is, like, you know, you, you're adults. You're moving into an apartment. So I was probably, like, 26. He was probably 28. We're moving into this spot we ended up living in for a year while we were working at uh, Satellite Radio. And Abe's walking in. First things I bring in, you know, are, like, things I'm hanging on my wall, really important things. I'm bringing my TV in. Abe pulls up in his car. And the first thing he walks into the new apartment are like a bottle of liquor mm. and a sword. Like sword. A, an actual sword that he had bought like at some field trip when he was like a kid or something. Well, he's got his priorities like, down, Grant. Exactly. I said, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm just moving in. I'm getting my stuff. I'm like, this is what you start with? Liquor and a sword? And I realized at that moment I was going to be in for a weird year. Yeah, liquor and a sword, huh? Yeah. You look like he's that kind of Straight guy. Straight out of Pulp Fiction. All right, Grant, <laughs> I don't need to know more about the gimp or anything else that was going on when you were living together. Congratulations on the nuptials. <laughs> Have a great weekend if that's coming up, and we'll chat with you in the offseason on the NFL on TuneIn. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. Good talking to you. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. TuneIn has what you need and when you want it when on the run and on the go. Covering all musical needs. Today's hits. Latin hits. Country roads. Hip-hop beats. Sit down. Supporting artists and the music they make exclusively on TuneIn. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we close out NFL No Huddle, the podcast, we talk Lions with Dave Burkett from the Detroit Free Press. Dave, thanks so much for taking the time since Josh McDaniels changed his mind. Did you have full confidence Matt Patricia was going to show up for that press conference yesterday? And what did you take away from his media session? Yeah, I didn't think there was ever much doubt. And I don't think the Lions, they, they never had any doubt either. I mean... Uh, you know, Bob Quinn sort of said as much in the press conference yesterday. Um, and look, I, I think, you know, he, Matt Patricia had, gave a favorable first impression to, to Lions fans. I mean, he's a, a likable guy. I think he's got that personality that, you know, players respond to him. He he shed some of that 
uh, shared some of that with the, the fans yesterday. And, and, you know, I think ultimately it's going to come down to wins, whether he's uh, fully embraced here in Detroit, but he's off to a good start at the very least. I think we all can say probably there's um, been a tremendous amount of doubt when it comes down to um, whoever you bring in that they can actually make it work and hopefully turn it over just because of the history and the longevity of of this team not actually being able to do something really, really good other than maybe getting close to winning the division and maybe slide into the playoffs and and getting ran off pretty quick. But Matt Patricia actually brings a, a quality resume. Defensively, they've been one of the top 10 defenses over the last five years under him. Uh, to understanding how Bill Belichick did things. What's your anticipation uh, of what it is he's going to bring to the table to help this team be a little bit more consistent, but most importantly, being able to finish at the end of the season because they play well, but just couldn't finish towards the end? Yeah, I, I sat down with Matt a little bit yesterday, and we talked a little bit uh, after after his news conference. And you know, he talked about wanting a physical team and a tough team, and a lot of those those buzzwords that you you know hear from coaches. I think he's going to play a pretty big role on defense, obviously. Um, in terms of you know what this that unit looks like going forward, but listen, I, I think the biggest thing that that you know this union really gives the Lions is that coach and general manager will be on the same page in, in everything they do. I mean, these guys are really good friends. I think that's an important part of of the team building process when it comes to you know, when, when Matt goes out to work out guys, he knows exactly what Bob is looking for. When Bob goes out to, you know, talk to guys in the draft process, he knows the questions that Matt wants asked. So, you know, that can help him determine whether those guys can learn his system um, beyond the athletic, you know, traits that, that scouts can see. So I just think there's there's a lot of value, and that's something that the Lions have lacked in the past is, is the coach and GM who are on the same page, who speak the same language when it comes to the team building process. Dave, I'm sure you interact with Lions fans on social media. That's part of the job now. Fairly or not, how many have pointed out that Patricia's defense got shredded by Nick Foles in the Super Bowl? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's you know certainly some people uh, that wasn't the the impression that they wanted to see, and, and maybe some Lions fans who didn't watch the Patriots much this year, uh, you know, walked away with a little bit of a sour taste in their mouth. But guys, you know how it is. It's it's impossible. You can't judge a coach on on one game. I mean, I think. You know his body of work over six seasons as a defensive coordinator and beyond that, um, really, you know, are, are what landed him in this position. And uh, as Cordell, as I'm sure you know, man, being a head coach is a lot more than than just what happens on the X's and O side. And I think those are some of the areas that that Matt Patricia seems to excel in. Yeah, and, and just being able to manage. Uh, I think a team right. that has a tremendous amount of personalities, and we, we saw him have to deal with that on that defense, bringing James Harrison in late in the year, having a Chris Long and uh, losing a Chandler Jones. So you, you've seen him have to deal with that a, a multitude of times there being with New England. But when you, when you see this Detroit Lions team, one thing I think sticks out like a sore thumb to me is this team's inability to be able to have a running back that can run between the tackle, tackles, whether it be that or the commitment to trying to run the football to help out Matthew Stafford so that he doesn't have to, uh, toward the end of seasons, deal with you know, wrist bruises or finger bruises or an ankle bruise and have to depend on him but can't get it done because his body is somewhat beat up. I think that's the biggest thing this offense has lacked, you know, and I'll, I'll give you guys a little stat here. I mean, the Lions haven't ranked in the top half of the NFL in rushing since Barry Sanders last season. So that tells you how long it's been since they've, they've even been, 
you know, serviceable in the run game. And, and last year they were they were about they averaged about nine yards less than the next closest team on the ground. So they know they need to get get better in that area. Bob Quinn has said he'll he'll absolutely add a running back this off season. You know, I imagine they they do so relatively high in the draft. That way, it's a guy they can you know, sort of build around and turn to for years to come. But they need they know they need to be a more complete offense in that aspect, and they think helping the offensive line, getting that scheme right will help things there as well. We're chatting with Dave Burkett from the Detroit Free Press. How important was it for Matthew Stafford that offensive coordinator Jim Bob Cooter kept his job from a standpoint of continuity? Yeah, it was. I mean, Stafford lobbied for that after the season. Um, you know, he's got a pretty good relationship with, with Cooter, and I think especially since the Lions let his quarterbacks coach, Brian Callahan, go, a pretty, a pretty respected guy. Um, you know, Jim Bob Cooter, um, or, or Matt Patricia, I should say, you know, he said that he, he's, he never worked with Cooter, but has some respect for him from coaching with him. And then one of his close friends and former colleagues, Brian Dable, had worked with him in Kansas City. So it wasn't only Stafford's recommendation why he ended up keeping Cooter, but I think that's an important part, especially for a, a first-year head coach and a guy that's that's so involved in the defensive side of things to know that there's some stability and continuity on offense. The city has been, let's just say, anxious to see if this team can go to the next level. You think Coach Patricia has enough to get this team to react in a way uh, that can actually help them, let's just say, get to the next level. Let's talk about this saying, just, they don't have to win a division, but just win a playoff game. <laughs> I think people here in Detroit would rejoice if that happened. I mean, look, <laughs> you know, history says they're, you know, they're, you're not going to be, they're not going to be a Super Bowl team next year or, or maybe in the, you know, near future. I don't know that I would put that on Patricia. And, you know, especially you got Aaron Rodgers in the division. You got a good Vikings team. There's a lot going against you. But, look, I don't think this Lions team is that far away either. They have, uh, you know, a quarterback in place in Stafford. They have some good defensive pieces Darius Slay, Ziggy Ansah. And they have a pretty good passing game. Um, you know, frankly, I, I think after watching the Patriots up close the last two games, I think the Lions might have a tad more talent on defense than the, than the Patriots. So, I, I think there's hope, um, but it's not going to be an easy task to, to get over you know, the, the rest of the competition in the NFC North. Dave, you track what's going on across the NFL. What was your reaction to the news from San Francisco to connect what's going on with the 49ers to the team you cover? Jimmy Garoppolo is getting Matthew Stafford money based on a total of seven career starts. Yeah, I mean, huge, huge money. And I guess I shouldn't be surprised by that because that's just what the market bears. And, you know, I think Drew Brees, uh, Kirk Cousins, Matt Ryan, Aaron Rodgers, there's probably going to be a whole bunch of people passing that that number here in the next, you know, six or seven months. So nothing surprises me when it comes to quarterbacks anymore. And even though Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't have a big body of of work to go on, uh, you know, I, I think the, the 49ers are invested in him enough as evidenced by that trade, and he played well enough late last season that uh, it's just uh, that's what the market bears, so that's what they paid him. The numbers are crazy right now in the National Football League for us, what they give quarterbacks in particular, but just in general. Uh, when you see the $87 million bucks given by giving to an Andrew Luck to a $70 million bucks trying to be given to a Brock Osweiler, to what we're seeing with, uh, let's just say, Derek Carr to Matthew Stafford, and now we see Jimmy Garoppolo. What does this do for Drew Brees with his new deal and also yeah. Kirk Cousins? None of those guys has won a playoff game that you mentioned. That's the thing, <laughs> right. right? I mean, and it's it, when Aaron Rodgers comes up, he, he he's just going to walk up there with a blank check because uh, – 
It, it really is. I mean, I think we're going to see a $30 million quarterback here before long. It's probably going to be Rodgers. You know, Brees has said that, that he doesn't want to leave um, New Orleans. Um, you know, I think they get a deal done, a short-term deal here for the next couple of years. Kirk Cousins, he's going to have some suitors, but I really think Rodgers is the one that waits until the end of the summer. Maybe the Packers do a deal with him then, and they're going to have to pay him $30 million or so a year and maybe guarantee most, if not all of it. Dave, last one for me. It's going to seem like a bit of a left turn, but I'll do my best to make it coherent. So we're in Minnesota for the full week covering the Super Bowl. Obviously, a lot of Hall of Fame conversation as well. Given the big numbers he's putting up, albeit in an age where everyone's throwing the football, if Matthew Stafford could win a playoff game or two, we know the Lions have one playoff victory since 1957, and he could play another five to eight years. What would his Hall of Fame resume look like? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's something that I've I've thought about. I'm the the Hall of Fame voter in Detroit, and you know I'm going to have to present Kelvin Johnson in a couple years, and I think he's a guy that absolutely deserves to get in. You know, Stafford is going to have the numbers when he retires because he's, I mean, you know, he's already over 30,000 passing yards. He, he plays another eight to ten years. He's he's going to be threatening the record there. Um, but you know, ultimately the lions haven't won with Stafford as their quarterback. He's been, he's been, he hasn't been selected to the pro bowl, even as a top three, you know, quarterback in his, his conference, uh, yet in his career. And that's by no means the, the way to judge a, you know, a guy's value or hall of fame candidacy, but that just sort of tells you where he is in the, the pecking order, I think of, of quarterbacks in the, the league during the time that he's played. So I think he's, he's put up some phenomenal numbers, but if he's going to get in that Hall of Fame, you know, uh, conversation, then over the next decade or so, he's going to have to win a lot and, and you know, probably lead his team to a, a Super Bowl or two. Dave, we appreciate the information. Thanks for joining us on the NFL on TuneIn. No problem, guys. Talk to you again. Thank you for listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast on iTunes with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Listen live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern by downloading the TuneIn app and searching NFL No Huddle. The National Football League is on. TuneIn, your everything audio app.